0: Welcome to Love Your Library, Hampshire Library's podcast. I'm Kate Price-McCarthy,
1: here with my co-host, Anna Curtis. Hi, Anna. Hi, Kate. It's so nice to join you on the podcast. I always love listening, so I'm really excited to be here. Well, it's lovely
0: to have you with us. So tell me, are you reading anything good at the moment?
1: Oh, I've recently finished reading Malibu Rising by Taylor Reed Jenkins. She's the author of Daisy Jones and the Six and the Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. I've not read either of those yet. Just Just Malibu Rising, and it was a really good summer read, set in Malibu. So, nice and sunny, lots of surfers, and it was great to read in the warm spell of weather that we had. How about you? Well, I'm a bit
0: the other end of the scale. I feel I ought to be talking about a child-friendly book today as as much of this episode is about children's books, but actually what I'm listening to at the moment couldn't be more different. I'm read or well, I'm listening to American Prometheus by Burden Sherwin, and it's all about Robert Oppenheimer's life. And I, th- I think it's the book that the film is pretty much based on. I'm 21 hours in, only another five to go, and it's one I was able to
1: download from BorrowBox, which is fantastic. So, as you say, Kate, today's episode is all about children's books in celebration of the Summer Reading Challenge, which kicked off in July.
0: And later on in the episode, you'll be hearing a conversation I had with children's writer and illustrator Kev Payne about why children's literacy is so important and about his inspiring route to becoming a children's author. It was also lovely to hear him talk so movingly about why he thinks libraries are magical places.
1: And after that, Kate and I catch up with Rebecca, a library assistant at Winchester and Allsford Libraries. We talk about some of our favourite children's books and hear all about her fantastic recommended read. As we're right in the midst of the summer
0: holidays, there's no better time than now to encourage children to get stuck into a good book, both as a way to keep them entertained while at home and also to keep literacy
1: skills up while school's out. Every summer, the Reading Agency encourages children up and down the country to read six books and collect rewards. In Hampshire, our libraries will be gearing up to help little ones select the best books and find new favourites. Visit our Kids Sign page or pop into your local branch to find out more about the challenge. We'll pop a link in our show notes for you. But for now, here's Kate speaking to Kev Payne.
0: So, Kev, thank you very much for joining me on the Love Your Library podcast. For those people who haven't come across you before, could you tell us a bit about yourself and what you do?
2: Yes. So my name is Kev Payne. I'm an author and illustrator and poet. I was a primary school teacher for 17 years before deciding to leave mm, about five years ago. And uh, yes, I love um, working on all kinds of projects as an illustrator, as an author, and yeah, love still going into schools as a poet.
0: That's amazing. Now, from reading about you, looking at your website, being a children's illustrator, author, poet, I feel that for many people, you're kind of living this dream life. It was what so many people would love to spend their time doing. So could you tell us, you probably don't have a typical day, but could you tell us a little bit about what a typical day might consist for you?
2: It really depends what kind of project uh, I'm working on. So, for example, at the moment, I'm working on a board book for a publisher in Germany. So I'm drawing lots of busy scenes, which I love to do, and hiding little extras into each scene or perhaps even illustrating people I know into the scene. So that's uh, something I'm working on at the moment. It really varies. And that's the wonderful thing. I feel very lucky to do my job because it really, you could be drawing mermaids one day, unicorns another, colouring in dinosaurs. It's a very fun and exciting area to work in.
0: Now, oh, that's great. Now, presumably, like any children's author, children's literacy is going to be something that you feel quite passionate about. So what do you think reading a books gives to children? How does it enrich their lives?
2: So as a teacher, yes, I still passionately believe in education and still have a keen interest in education. So reading is at the very heart of learning. And I think as a child, myself, just books, being surrounded by books as a child, now looking back was just such a wonderful start. And I think the more that children read from a young age, then the better opportunities they'll have in in the future. And the thing is, it doesn't have to be, I think there's a fallacy that it needs to be huge books, but I think any reading is good reading. So for me, I think my way into reading was comics. So Beano, Dandy, things like that. And it's still something that I still read now. Calvin and Hobbes' biggest influence, I would say, on my reading, anything to do with reading. Yeah. Football.
0: Yeah, well, that's a good question, really. If somebody has got a reluctant reader at home, what are are some good ways to get them more enthusiastic? What are good ways to get children who maybe have got out of the reading habit to get them back into reading again?
2: I think finding those topics that really interest them. And I think almost to start off with, I would suggest short books or even just something they can dip in out of, like poetry books, for example. You know, they're short, but it's a, it's a way into way into reading. Fact books as well, something that you can dip in and out of to build up that love of learning, love of reading, and the stamina as well to go and explore new things.
0: No, it's interesting you talking about that you used to be a primary school teacher. It's quite an interesting route. So how did you get from doing teaching? How did you then develop that into doing writing and, and illustrating?
2: I've always been interested in writing and illustrating. As a child, when I was seven, I think was when I first wanted to be an author. And I often uh, tell children when I go into schools how I used to pick up books off the bookshelf in class, cover up the author's name and pretend that I'd written books. So it was it was there from a young age. And I think it was something that I'd never really considered as a as a career. You know I I enjoyed writing and I think with the cartoons the idea of cartoons tends to be something that isn't serious and I think that had been part of me for a while thinking oh it's just a hobby or I'd heard you know as I was growing up oh it's a party piece and things like that and it wasn't until I was older that I realized actually no these are worthwhile subjects and yeah so then I started to explore it explore it more it was actually planning a science lesson that gave me my first idea for a book. So we were learning about adaptation with animals. And having taught the subject several years, I wanted to mix it up a bit. So I thought maybe I could find, you know, a different animal to talk about with the children. And I discovered an animal called blobfish, which had just been voted the world's ugliest animal. (laughs) And I was fascinated. I thought as a grown up and as a teacher that you know, you'd know pretty much every animal that was out there. And this was a new one to me. And I found out about it. And then I found out another animal that I'd not heard about. And then I set myself the challenge of finding a whole alphabet of animals that perhaps people hadn't heard of. And certainly I hadn't <laughs> heard of before. So planning that science lesson was the way into um, making my first book.
0: Yeah. And then having had that idea as, you, as a child to then see your name in print, that must have been really exciting.
2: Oh, very exciting. When I was seven was when I first wanted to be an author. When I was 11, I say I nearly had a book published because uh, a teacher in my school was a published author. And we had something called a media week, which was incredible, where we had a go at commentating on football matches, writing our own newspapers and writing a picture book for younger children and my book and another child's book were chosen by our teacher to be sent away to her publisher and we got a really nice letter back saying thanks for sending them you know really enjoyed them not quite right for what we're looking for but that letter really really inspired me and kind of I held on to that for a long while. And I and now when I go and visit schools, I I show the children that letter to show them that actually, it's it's something that you don't have to wait to be a grown up to be an author, you can you can start uh, from a young age.
0: Mm. It is so exciting to see how something happening when you're that age can have such an impact on your life as you uh, as you carry on. So uh, I'm sure we've all had those formative lessons when we were at primary school or secondary school where suddenly we just thought, saw things in a different way and they made such a difference and had such a lasting impact. When you, I know you do quite a lot of collaborations with other authors, as well as writing your own stuff yourself. So how does it work when you're collaborating with an author? Do they find you? Do they write the stuff and then you illustrate it? Or is it more of a collaboration? Or does it vary from book to book?
2: It does vary. But what tends to happen, I have an agent who handles my illustration side of things. So I tend to be sent a brief, which varies greatly. So I might just have a very brief outline of what they want on the page or a very detailed description of of what they want. And then it's a case of um, sketching and then sending them off and kind of fine tuning with the publishers. So I don't tend to work with the authors direct sometimes I do but it tends to be through the through the publishers
0: and when you develop a sketch you do that do you do that sort of pen and ink or with a pencil or you do you get straight onto the computer for that kind of designing
2: no always uh, pencil and paper I can't I know there's lots of illustrators out there who just go straight to the iPad or yeah or to their tablet I can't do that I do I still love the feel of pencil on paper and for me it's about yeah, feeling it. Uh, I think that's that's for me. It feels yeah, it feels real when I'm working with pencil and paper and also making mistakes as well. I think fine tuning. Um, yeah, with a pencil, it, it just feels a bit more natural to me.
0: Mm, yeah, I know how important illustrations are in not just in children's books in the other books as well. But what do you see as the importance? What does what do you think illustrations bring to a book?
2: I think they're an integral part of the book. When you think of children's books, you can't help but think of the of the illustrations that go along with those. They go hand in hand. They complement the text, and I think it'd be very difficult to picture picture books with without the illustrations. And certainly, from uh, reading with very young children, that is what will hook them in to start off with. It's it's the it's the pictures that they'll spot things and they'll learn the text and but it'll be the pictures, particularly for young children, that will that will help to draw them in.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting what you were saying about cartoons like Beano and Dandy when you were young. And nowadays, graphic novels, I think could be such a gateway for people who, both for people who like reading books, also like reading graphic novels, but for somebody who might be a bit uneasy about taking on a whole book. And it's something that um, I guess wasn't around so much uh, when you were younger.
2: No, no. I, I wish. I, I mean, what an incredible arrangement of graphic novels there are now: Bunny versus Monkey, and all those different things from the Phoenix comic. Yeah, what an incredible range! I would have absolutely have loved them as a child. And I, and I think for me as well, something that else that, that I really liked to do was collect books. So if you've got a series of books, that's very exciting. So for me, it was the Just William books. I used to collect all of the fantastic Just William books. And I know from seeing the books that are out there now that they certainly would have been on my shelf as a, as a child. But like you say, graphic novels are a, a wonderful way of introducing children to reading. And yeah, those reluctant readers as well. You can get through them fairly quickly. They're fun. And it's almost like reading a cartoon that you'd watch on television. You can fill the gaps between each panel and just animate it in your head, I yes. guess. I think that's how I I would read them.
0: That's interesting. Yeah. So you're using your imagination in a different way. You're using it visually as well as, as, as when you read. And I know we have good collections of graphic novels at the libraries as well, which is great. And also, you mentioned Just William. We used to love listening to those as audiobooks. Um, Oh, Having them on in the car with, I think it's Martin Jarvis. Martin
2: Jarvis, yeah, yeah.
0: He does it brilliantly, yeah. So, yeah, I can really recommend those. If you're wanting something to while away a long journey in the car, Just William book on audiobook are just great. Yeah, you've talked a little bit about what books that you loved when you were growing up. It's interesting you mentioned Just William, but also, yeah, things like comics. But are there any other favourites you had as a child that influenced you and maybe other ones that are contemporary ones that you would recommend to people that you think are particularly good?
2: I think poetry played a really big part of my childhood. I think that's where I developed my love of, of language. And I still have the first poetry book that I had as a child. And it's one of those things with poetry that nobody tells you necessarily to learn poems off by heart. But when you really like a poem, they become part of you. And I can still recall some of the poems that I had from... The collection is called... I've got it here, Comic Verse, selected by Roger McGough. It's, it's a wonderful collection of poems. So that's that's one real standout book from my childhood. The Roald Dahl books, absolutely love those. And again, seeing seeing the transition between the book and almost an audio book, but Jack and Nori, there's a retelling by Rick Mayle of George's Marvellous Medicine, which I would highly recommend if you get a chance to see that. That's good as well.
0: So... If somebody really wants to get into writing or in a, in children's books, what kind of advice would you give them?
2: So I would say the key for me, the biggest key was actually taking yourself seriously, because I think it's something that a lot of people and I certainly was, oh, I'd love to be a children's author. And you write a book and you might send it away. And I used to collect rejection letters because it was like, OK, on to the next one. So rather than thinking about the craft itself and learning about how to write a book, it was like, well, I've written a book. Somebody's going to, somebody's going to pick it up. But actually, it was when I took that time to think, right, let's, let's have a think. Let's think of the advice that I've been given and actually act upon it and investing in myself. And it's not just, I don't mean financially. I decided to stop watching television in the evenings and learn the industry of, writing and and illustrating and for me that was the turning point between um, it being a dream that lots of people have and actually making it work so I would say yeah that would be the biggest thing is take yourself seriously invest in yourself and believe in yourself because if you're tentative and you're thinking oh I hope somebody does then you're not really giving yourself the best opportunity I was very lucky to be Living close to the late Babette Cole, wonderful author of many books, and I found out that she was offering private lessons. So uh, I paid for a private lesson with her, and it was a wonderful and terrifying experience at the same time. But it was incredible just to find out how a real author, how a real author works. So I went to her house for this private lesson, and it was absolutely fascinating to see i think in my mind i had the the, this idea of an author's house you know marble entrance and stuff but her uh her workbench was propped up with foreign editions of her books and she sharpened her pencil with a massive knife and she was just fantastic and she ripped my story to shreds there was no there was no love lost i think Again, before before then, you just kind of rely on friends and family to give you the feedback. And, you know, they're going to say, oh, that's nice. And you go, yeah, it is nice. But actually to have somebody who has got no interest in necessarily looking after your, your ego and but actually seeing what needs to be done. So I came away quite disheartened by her feedback. But then on reflection... It was fantastic. So I went back for a second time and I learned so much from so much from her. And I think the second time she rang up one of her publishers and handed me the phone, which I was completely (laughs) unprepared for. And it didn't lead to anything, but it was like, yeah, here you go. Just go and get out there. And that that really pushed me to think, actually, that's something you something you have to do. She said that her break, she Sat on one of the um, doorsteps of a BBC executive and refused to leave until <laughs> until uh, they'd looked at her portfolio. So she was very tenacious, and I just thought, actually, yes, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of waiting around in publishing. But actually, if you believe in yourself and you put yourself out there, that's something that you that you have to do. Mm,
0: love that. What
2: a what a great experience. For me, with poetry, the thing that I absolutely love about poetry is it brings words to life. It brings language to life. And for me, when I write my poems, I'm not just writing them for me. I'm already thinking about the impact that they have on the reader. But also, I really hope that it will inspire others to write. So when I run my workshops in the summer... It almost be like, here's my poem. What are you going to What are you going to do with it? How can you change it? How can you mix it up? And when I go and visit schools and work with children, that's one of my favourite things is to see that light bulb moment where they go, "I could do this," and they tell me their ideas, and and sometimes it's better than mine. And you think, "Well done, that's great." Puppets, music, maybe even a bit of rap as well. That would be uh, something to look forward to during the summer poetry really is, it feels like you can shake the words out from a book and you get to hold the words and you get to touch the words and you get to play with the words as well. I'm really, really looking forward to the summer working with the different libraries.
0: Mm. And uh, you've mentioned that you're doing a collaboration with a, a German publisher at the moment. But is there anything else that you're working on at the moment? Any other books that we can look forward to seeing in the future?
2: I have a lot of different things on the game. Um, I'm working with a self-published author in America who's bringing out some books about dinosaurs, which is quite fun. I do have a couple of picture books that I've written recently um, that I'm looking to find a home for. So they are something that I'm working on. And also, I've just rewritten a Viking myth for older children as well about a dragon called Fafnir and I've really enjoyed finding out about the story and then putting my own twist on it and combining it with poetry as well. So uh, that's something that I hope to explore over the next year or so. But I've already been trialling it when I've been going into schools. Just that's the wonderful thing. I've got an audience just to see how it lands and use it as a basis for children to write their own poetry. And they have produced some stunning, some stunning poems already. I'm looking forward to developing that.
0: So tell me, what is it do you think that libraries can bring to community or particularly to bring to young people?
2: Libraries are absolutely wonderful places. They're magical places. And as a child, it was such a treat to go to the library. It's that first little bit of independence that you get to go and choose a book. You're sent off. You get to choose the books and you get to, in my day, you get to take the little uh, tickets out. And you get to stamp the book and nowadays you get to scan the book and it's just a whole world is waiting for you and you are the one that gets to explore and they are safe places they are fun places i've used i used them as a child And I still use them now to go and read or to go and work. I I love the feeling sometimes when I go and illustrate in a library and I think I'm drawing in a library and this is going to end up in a library. And it feels like, oh, if only people knew this is where I was producing this book, in a library. They are really, really wonderful places and they're free. And it's just that everybody can get to enjoy them. And again, I feel very privileged to be putting on an event because I can remember being eight years old and going to Norwich Library, where I grew up, and I went and saw an author that um, I was a big fan of, and it was just magical. His name's Bob Wilson, and his collection of books were the Stanley Bagshaw books. I don't know if you remember those, but they're wonderful books. And so to have read his books and then see him in real life it was just wow this is amazing and i can i can picture him now and just it was electric just thinking this is this is the person behind the book that i'm getting to meet when i found out that i was going on uh, these library events during the summer i found Bob Wilson's website and I got in touch with him. I was buying my dad a a present, I was getting something from his site, but then I mentioned about the influence that he had on me and the fact that I remembered going to the library as a child and now that I'm getting to do that as well, I just wanted to say thank you to him. And so it was a lovely, it was almost like a full circle event that I am now doing something that I know had a bigger impact on me as a child. Again, it's down to it's down to libraries putting on events like this that really do inspire children. And yes, I just hope that um, some children will go away from my workshops feeling the same as well.
0: That was wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. I really enjoyed speaking with Kev, his enthusiasm and energy are really infectious and great to hear what an impact libraries had on him when he was growing up. I loved
1: hearing all about what he had to say about libraries. It really resonated with my experience as a child, so it was really fantastic to hear. Moving on to the second part of this episode now, it's time to get some inspiration for your little one's reading pile as we chat to library assistant Rebecca.
0: Hi, Rebecca, welcome to the podcast. Hello, thank you, it's lovely to be here. It's lovely to see you and hello too to Anna, who's also joined us for this section of the episode. Hi Kate, nice to see you. Good to see you too. Okay, so let's start with you, Rebecca. You work in our libraries in Winchester and Alsford, and listeners might remember Rebecca from a podcast back in, I think it was May last year when she came on to talk about The Bell Jar by Sylvia Plath. Now, this time you're here to talk about a very different book because we're right in the midst of this year's Summer Reading Challenge. So Rebecca, before we get onto your book recommendation, can you tell me how the reading challenge is going at the libraries that you work at?
3: Yes, absolutely. It is incredibly busy, which is fantastic. We're having lots and lots of children and families come into Winchester and Allsford, where I'm working, very keen to sign up to the reading challenge and sign up to the library if they're not members before. Yeah, lots and lots of big queues of people, but we're really, really happy to see lots of books going out and lots of smiling, happy faces keen to join in with the reading challenge this year.
0: Yeah, it is absolutely rooted in the summer holidays, isn't it? Once school is done, let's sign up for the Summer Reading Challenge. So for those who haven't taken part before, could you tell me a bit about the Summer Reading Challenge, who it's for and what it's all about?
3: So the Summer Reading Challenge is aimed at primary school children predominantly and it encourages children to carry on reading over the summer holidays because we know that there can be a dip in children's reading over the summer holidays. So we really want to encourage children to read and discover new books and just to encourage that enthusiasm. So the aim of the Summer Reading Challenge is to read six books throughout the summer. So it started on the 15th of July and finishes on the 16th of September. So you've got quite a few weeks to get reading and you come into the library and tell our lovely volunteers all about what books you've been reading and collect stickers as you go along some of which smell lovely some of which smell not so lovely and put them on your chart and at the end after you've read your six books you get a fantastic medal and a certificate which we encourage you to take into school and tell your teachers all about. So yeah, it's really it's really encouraging children to keep on reading and we do it in partnership with the reading agency. It introduces lots of new families to the libraries over the summer, which is brilliant and really supports reading engagement and confidence and really supports children's well-being and development because you all know how crucial reading is, is for that. And this year it is called Ready, Set, Read, and really is all about games and sports. So we're celebrating play and participation. And we can see how reading can be active and engagement, and yeah, really encouraging children to to think about that side of things too.
0: Yeah, it's a really nice theme this year. Which yeah, every year there's a different theme, but yeah, I really like the connection up with sports. So if if you've got a young person in your family, so they should just go to the local library, sign up, and start on the challenge. Is that that the best way to go about it? Absolutely.
3: Yeah, come into the library, come and talk to us. We've got loads of fun activities and crafts on every day during the summer as well. So there's lots to do. And you can also do it online as well. The links to all of that are all on our website if you can't get in. But we want to see all your smiling faces and hear all about the wonderful books that you guys are reading.
0: Yeah, there's nothing quite like actually being in the library and getting really inspired by those shelves of books. Okay, so let's talk about the books that we're going to recommend. Rebecca, would you tell us a bit about the book you've chosen and why you've chosen it?
3: Well, I have chosen a book that I absolutely love, and it's called When Stars Are Scattered. And it's by Victoria Jameson and Omar Mohammed, and it is a graphic novel. So it's sort of laid out, as for those of you who are not sure about graphic novels, it's kind of laid out a bit like a comic. And it's aimed, I would say, sort of 10 to 14 age group. And what I love about this book is, firstly, the fantastic pictures that are in it, really beautiful pictures, funny pictures, poignant pictures, as you follow the story along. But also, it tackles a a tricky subject, because it's about a boy in a refugee camp in Kenya. So it's a a difficult subject, and one that not a lot of children's books are, are about, but it does it in a really poignant, beautiful, and thoughtful way and encourages children to think about how lucky they are, and how people live differently in different parts of the world. And also the similarities between children, no matter where they are, their wishes and hopes, and what they find funny, what they like doing. So there's a lot to relate in in the book as well for children, although it's about something that's quite unusual for a lot of children, and they may not think about It's all about an 11-year-old boy called Omar and his brother Hassan. And they live in this refugee camp, which he describes as like being in a giant waiting room. And it feels a bit like a prison. But he he lives in, in this refugee camp because he... Was fleeing the civil war in Somalia, and his mom is back in Somalia. So obviously, that's you know really difficult. And looks at the themes of family and friendship as well. And he's a lot like other boys. He loves playing football, but his life really sort of turns around when he starts going to school in this refugee camp. He's got some really great teachers who inspire him, and he really wants to become a UN social worker and help other kids like him. He dreams of going to America and escaping everything, but also. So finding his mum. And it explores lots of different themes like equality and disability. His brother has a disability and friendship and family and education. It looks at the differences between girls and boys in the refugee camp and how they're treated. And in terms of the education and the responsibilities, the extra responsibilities that girls seem to have. But yeah, it's a true true story, and uh, without giving too much away, it's a very happy ending, which is lovely. And it really, it really looks looks at what happens to this little boy, and as he grows up, it kind of goes back to him a few years after, and and looks what look at how he has grown and developed, and 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 the happy ending that he has, which is great.
0: Yeah, I I hadn't heard of this book before but goodness it sounds absolutely magical and I understand it was a, a nominee for Goodread's best graphic novel a few years ago. Am I right in thinking that the story is actually told to the author and artist by the Somali man that that lived the story it's it's the the co-author is the person that lived this life.
3: Absolutely, which makes it so much more powerful, I think. It's written by him and Victoria Jameson. So it, she draws the pictures and it's kind of a joint work, which, yes, which makes it even more powerful because it's about him and what he's lived through, which really sort of hits home as well. And there's a bit at the end, which is just lovely of photographs, actual photographs of him as an adult and some you know kind of reflection and uh, about that at the end which makes you know really yeah really poignant and lovely really lovely story uplifting but like i say tackles tackles a tricky subject
0: well yeah that's true and it, it is it really demonstrates to me the kind of power of books to open up worlds for people um, and to give you that glimpse of a life that you can it's just unimaginable because he's he's there for years and years and years he's, he's in that what he calls waiting room for You kind of think, oh, it would be a few months, but it literally is Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think it's seven
3: years he was there, you know, unimaginable amount of time. And, you know, he describes life there sometimes quite brutal, but fun times as well. And I think it, it really it's really important for children to read books about people who are different for them because, you know, the empathy is is developed through reading about children who are in a different circumstance to them and in the afterward, actually, the author says, you know, never give up hope and also talk to other kids, find out their stories. You know, we've all got different interesting stories and we all benefit from learning about other people and becoming friends with different people.
0: It sounds an absolutely extraordinary book. So when uh, when did you first read it and what made you pick it up in the first place? I first read it because I got it out from my local library
3: for my son and he absolutely loved it. It really made a big impact on him so I read it after him because he said mum you've got to read this so I read it and, and loved it as much as he did. It's a really engaging format often for readers who are a bit intimidated by lots of text. This is a really accessible format. I've read one of her other books as well, Roller Girl, which is great as well. We've got lots of copies in in the libraries. So yeah, it's a great, and it's a great, it really is a great format for for those children who sometimes struggle with
0: a whole big page of text. It's a bit more accessible. I was going to say, you know, gra- graphic novel, that's a type of book, I must admit, I've, I've never read. But I'm kind of thinking they're not just for people who find full textbook overwhelming. I think people get a lot from a graphic novel that they might not get from a, from a textbook. Uh, how well do you think the images and the text work together in this case?
3: Beautifully. I think they go alongside each other. And I'm a big fan of pictures in books. I think there should be lots more adult books with pictures in because they enhance it so much. I think I should start a campaign for more more, more adult books with pictures in, please.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, just something, it wasn't something that was around when I was young. And I've just noticed them more and more in our libraries now that we've got growing collections of them. People shouldn't just think they are for children because um, they're much more of much more wider interest than that, I think.
3: Yeah, they're really popular, really popular in the libraries at the moment. Lots of new people discovering them, which is great.
0: And would you say this is something that even if you, you don't have a, a young person or a teenager in your life, a book that you might pick up and recommend?
3: I loved it as, a, as an adult, really loved it. And yeah, I think it's it's really useful as adults to read children's books as well because some of them are brilliant fantastic works of fiction they're not just for the children
0: (laughs) definitely and how about you Anna are you a reader of graphic novels I tried
1: graphic novels when I was a teenager and I could never really get on with them but that book sounds incredible so I think I'm gonna have to give them another go just for this one Thank you. Thank you for that
0: recommendation. That is uh, one I would never have come across. So I really appreciate hearing about it. So we've been talking about When Stars Are Scattered by Victoria Jameson and Omar Mohammed. So uh, let's turn to Anna now, who's joining us on the podcast for the first time. Lovely to have you. And have you got a reading suggestion for us?
1: I do. It's Vicky Angel by Jacqueline Wilson, which, in my opinion, is an absolute classic. And it was first published in 2000, so some of the references are a little bit outdated now, but I still think it's it holds a lot of relevancy today. So the story follows two best friends, Jade and Vicky, who are walking home from school after an argument, where Vicky sadly is hit by a car and killed. And the rest of the story is spent watching Jade as she grieves for Vicky. And I think one of the things that this story does really well is making you look at how the grief is manifesting for Jade and how her view of their friendship is changing following Vicky's death. So I first read this when I was in junior school, and it's the first book I remember having a really strong emotional reaction to. Like I could physically feel Jade's grief in the pit of my stomach and in my chest, so much so that I can still kind of hold on to these feelings now whenever I think about the book. So that's why I want to recommend this one.
0: Goodness, yeah. It, she's, she does do that very well. She kind of really captures that very honest feeling of uh, emotions that you go through as young people and ones that when you reread them as an adult, they still, as you say, you still connect with them now. And I think like many Jacqueline Wilson books, this this tackles, as you say, some really tough issues like bereavement and grief and also in, in guilt. And uh, when this was published, as you say, back in year 2000, it was probably quite unusual for a children's book. I'd say more books perhaps nowadays are willing to tackle these more difficult issues. But you you think it does sort of stand the test of time?
1: I would say so. I think, like I said, there are a lot of references that are a bit outdated. And even when I read it not long after it was published, I was like, I don't know what half of this stuff is actually referring to. But the way that people grieve in general, I think, stays the same throughout time. And I think it's a really useful tool for both children and adults, actually, for children to be able to have a way of understanding what they're going through and for adults to understand what the children are going through and help them through that. So I think in that sense, it likely will never lose its importance as a book for children.
0: Yeah. And I know um, growing up, Jacqueline Wilson, I understand, had quite an impact on your life. Uh, So what do you think it is about her, not just with this book, but with her other books that had such an impact on you?
1: I think it's like you said, the way that she writes about quite difficult circumstances that lots of children will face in a very honest way and treats children with a sense of maturity that maybe other authors, at least when I was growing up in the 90s and early 2000s, wouldn't have done. And I think that's really important for children to be able to empathise with one another and also to be able to kind of actually feel trusted by adults. And one of the things that I really like about the way she does this is that she crafts these characters without making the reader pity them or reducing them to the circumstances they find themselves in. And it's actually just a snapshot of that very moment in their life and the way they're working through it. So Tracy Beaker, a staple of any good 2000s girl, was a really great example of this, I think. So... Tracy Beaker finds herself in a children's home. Her mum is unable to care for her at that moment, but actually she had so much fun. You know, her mum didn't come to visit when she said she would. You could feel the hurt Tracy was experiencing, but you never thought, oh, poor Tracy, how horrible. And I just think Jacqueline Wilson just has an incredible way of balancing heavier subject matter with almost comedic moments and lighthearted moments that really make you understand just what other people are going through. And I think she's brilliant for that reason. And I I would say that she really shaped me as a person in steering my understanding of what it means to be empathetic, and a good friend and a good classmate, and just how to work with other children.
0: Mm. And are there any other standout titles for you?
1: Yeah. So this one is another one that I think will probably be quite dated now, but it's called The Worry Website. And it's about a teacher who makes this website in his classroom so that the children don't have to have circle time. They can anonymously submit their worries to this website. And some of their worries are, I had a really bad nightmare last night and I don't know how to deal with it. And some of their other worries are, one of my parents is an alcoholic and is very abusive. And so you kind of see this range of worries and issues happening within a group of seven children and I think that's another one where you just kind of see within one class of children how many things people have got going on but how it doesn't change their relationships with one another necessarily and how they learn to interact with each other and how they learn to help each other through all of these really difficult moments so that's another really standout one I think in terms of learning empathy
0: I remember reading that one as well, and it's incredible because she's she's still producing books now. I think she had three books out in the last three years. What about you, Rebecca? Have you read many uh, Jacqueline Wilson books? I think I'm a bit
3: older than Anna, unfortunately, and I, <laughs> I was a bit I was a bit past that. But I know that they really, and my children have have read them, and I know that they. They're brilliant in that they tackle, like you said, Anna, tackle some tricky issues in, a, in, again, an accessible way. And also, it's really important to show children reflected in the fiction that they read, that, you know, not everyone it comes from a, you know, stereotypical 2.4 children family and children have got tricky issues that they're dealing with. And, it, you know, and, and those children, it's, it's really important to see them reflected in the fiction
0: yeah no I think you're I think you're absolutely right. I've got really vivid memories of listening to audiobook versions of Jacqueline Wilson stories on holiday with my family. I remember queuing up for the ferry to France listening to the bed and breakfast stuff. And there's a, there's a really good choice actually of on uh, um, Borrowbox of Jacqueline Wilson audiobooks and other books uh, e-books to download so I can really recommend them uh, wh- whatever your age still very enjoyable
1: now. So I recently reread or listened to Dicky Angel on BorrowBox. And I think listening to it as an adult was so fascinating in comparison to how I read it as a child. So as a child, I took Vicky coming back as a ghost and making Jade's life a bit of a misery at face value, truly believing that Vicky had come back as a ghost. But as an adult listening to it, it kind of completely shifted. And I understood that actually Jade was experiencing grief and she was just sort of seeing her version of Vicky come to life as opposed to really being there for her. And I just thought it was so fascinating and such a really interesting way to reinterpret what I had understood as a child.
0: Yeah, it is really different that we do see different books, films, TV programs different different ways and depending on the stage of our life. Well, thank you for that. We've been talking about Jacqueline Wilson's book, Vicky Angel, and before that, when stars are scattered by Victoria Jameson and Omar Mohammed. On to my recommendation. Well, I was quite inspired by the Summer Reading Challenge collection that we have on Borrow Box at the moment. And I was really intrigued to see a Michael Moore Purgo book about foxes among what are generally sporty titles. So that's got me thinking, how on earth does that fit in? And it's a book called The Fox and the Ghost King, and it came out in 2016. It's actually a really clever story that uses this family of foxes, in particular one football-loving young fox cub, to weave together two very dramatic stories from the city of Leicester. First of all as the football club's amazing winning streak, in the 2015-2016 season. And then secondly, the slightly earlier discovery of the body of Richard III under a car park in the city. So very desperate stories, which he magically draws together. He's such a master storyteller. And it's a really clever way of joining these events together, especially as, and you may know this already, the football club is known as the Foxes. It's quite a short book. Um, we listened to it as an audio book and it lasts, it's about 45 minutes. So it's a really good choice to keep a family entertained on a journey. So great one to download for that. And despite the fact that it's so entertaining and it's a very cute story, but there's also kind of like a ton of history in it and lots about about Shakespeare and how his depiction of Richard III has negatively influenced our perception of him nowadays. Though there's quite a lot of different strands to inspire young readers. And I'm always drawn to a Michael Morgvogos story because he's another writer I have lots of fond memories of as my children grew up. And we used to read and listen to many of his stories together in fact we interviewed him on an earlier podcast about his book boy giant uh, and he's goodness he's a great raconteur so we'll include a link to that podcast in the show notes as well and so again rebecca turning back to you are you a more reader was that one that figured in your son's reading list absolutely
3: love michael Morpurgo in our house especially because he writes lots about animals and we're we're a big fan of animal stories remember I read to the children, The Puffin Keeper, which really stayed with all of us. We often still talk about it. And again, beautiful pictures in that edition as well.
1: Yes, big, big fans.
0: And uh, what about you, Anna? Have uh, have you read Michael Morpurgo's stories in the past?
1: Oh, I'm about to embarrass myself, but I haven't. I was (laughs) so nose deep in Jacqueline Wilson, apparently. (laughs) I just never got round to it. Well, I
0: I would say because I listened to them as an adult because I was listening to them with my children and they are there's some of them which we'd arrive at our destinations and then couldn't get out of the car because we just had to hear what was going to happen in the end. So I'd still recommend giving them a listen. Now he's a great storyteller. Okay, so we've been talking about the Fox and the Ghost King by Michael Morpurgo and before that, When Stars Are Scattered by Victoria Jamieson and Omar Mohammed. And Anna Recommended, Vicky Angel by Jacqueline Wilson. So Rebecca, can I ask if there are any other children's books you'd like to give a special mention to?
3: There is. I would love to give a special mention to one of my favourite children's books at the moment, which is a picture book called Barbara Throws a Wobbler by Nadia Shireen. And I love this book. The pictures are amazing, but also, so it tells the story of a very cute cat called Barbara who has a tricky day. Firstly, there's a sock incident, and then there's a strange pee at lunchtime, and then she steps on a crack on the pavement. So you can see these things will add up to a tricky day. So unfortunately, she throws a wobbler, and it's a very, very big wobbler, which she can't get rid of for a long time, despite being offered cuddles and her friend Small Bob offering her an ice cream which even that she refuses. So this wobbler is with her and she can't get rid of it. But then she talks to the wobbler and kind of reasons with the wobbler and realises that actually she's in control of the wobbler and she can conquer the wobbler and squeezes and squashes it until it gets smaller and smaller and it disappears with a pop. But the wobbler does remind her that he may be back. So then she has a happy day and and plays with her friends and has no more wobblers for that day anyway. Yeah, it's a really lovely book and I think one we and we can all identify with either we've had tricky days or our children have had tricky days and thrown big wobblers. And it's got a brilliant guide at the end to bad moods. Which has got little it's an illustrated guide to bad moods and goes from figure 1, the sulk, through to the tizzy, the seethe, the huff, the grump ending in figure six, The Wobbler. And it describes about how these bad moods affects you and, and pictures of them. So yeah, it's a really, really lovely, fun, hilarious, gorgeous book about how emotions are tricky when you're growing up and when you're grown up and little ways of dealing with them.
0: Oh, I love that. I, I think it's so great that there are being books that are talking about children's emotions. That is such a, a helpful way of dealing with it as well. I think uh, one that I could probably do with from time to time.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's lovely to be able to for parents and you know grown ups and children to be able to share a book like this and and reflect on you know how, how we've all experienced that and and that it's normal and that there are, that there are ways through it.
0: Yeah, exactly. And finally, Rebecca, when you were last on the podcast, you talked very passionately about how libraries can be incredibly supportive places for their local communities. Would it be okay if you reminded us about some of the ways that many people, in particular new parents, can find support at their local library?
3: absolutely, yeah, you're right. I, I am really passionate about this the library is a is a really safe welcoming place for for people who are experiencing loneliness and isolation and and difficulties of all sorts, and we you know welcome everyone to to come in it, it's it's you know, we don't ask you to pay any money, it's, it's free and, and especially in the winter, it's a warm place to be. And we run lots of groups in, in all of our libraries across Hampshire. And I know that rhyme time, baby bounce and rhyme and story time for children are incredibly important for so, so many people. Firstly, because of the development for babies and children, about their speech and social aspect, incredibly vital for for children's speech and development, but also really, really essential and important for new parents. It can be an incredibly isolating time for new parents. And just to get out and come and see other people who are experiencing the same problems as you are, just to sort of have that safe space for the children to enjoy themselves and for you to maybe make friends and, and talk to people who are going through the same things as you are is is really really important, especially for especially for like you say, I'm really enthusiastic and passionate about the problems that new parents can face. It's one of lots of groups that we run in the libraries. There's knit and natter and Scrabble groups, and I run a group here in Winchester called Read Aloud, which is like billet story time for grown-ups basically. So it's us reading to adults who come in, and it's lovely to see people making new friends coming in week after week and. Really helping people who do find life difficult sometimes, and 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 are lonely, but also for people who aren't, who just want to make new friends. You know, the libraries play a really, really crucial role in combating loneliness and and isolation.
0: Thank you so much for that for talking about that, Rebecca. I think it's really inspiring to to hear, and uh, always worth revisiting. Such an important point. I, I certainly know when I was a new parent. Those toddler groups were an absolute lifeline. And it's where my solid group of friends who I met, that's where I met them through is those toddler groups. They uh, they stay with you. So thank you for joining us, Rebecca. And we look forward to seeing you again very soon. That was absolutely great. Thank you very much. Bye.
1: Wow, I really enjoyed talking to Rebecca and I thought her recommended pick sounds absolutely amazing. Yeah, it sounds
0: a really interesting book and it's not one I've heard of before. And it was lovely to have Rebecca back to talk with us. She's always got some great suggestions and it's heartwarming to hear her talking about the impact libraries make in the community. So, Don't forget to pop into your local library this summer to find a great book to read or to inspire any younger people you know to take part in this year's reading challenge. Picture books and graphic novels all count towards their goal of six books so there's plenty
1: to choose from. Well that's about all we've got time for today. Thank you to Kev and Rebecca for joining us and to you for listening. I'm Anna Curtis and I'm Kate Price McCarthy.